So First uh, Peter, uh, as Austin and I have been talking, is this letter written by uh, Peter who was considered the leader of the disciples, right? And the thing about Peter, by the time he writes this letter, he is an older pastor. He's got a lot of uh, experience, you might say. He, uh, the thing about, I love about Peter, I've said this many, many times before, is that Peter, um, when he was younger, when he was walking with Jesus, he made a lot of mistakes. Even though he was the leader of the disciples, he made a lot of mistakes, Right? If you read the Gospels, you're going to see Peter who often just, he spoke out of turn. He often said the wrong things. He did the wrong things. He denies Jesus at the most critical time of the life of Jesus. I mean, he's just a guy that made a lot of mistakes. Anybody relate to someone like Peter, right? Like, I like Peter, right? I can't relate to the guy that you just never hear about anything he does wrong or says wrong. But Peter, I'm like, yep, that's a guy I can relate to, right? Peter then goes on after Jesus' death and resurrection to be one of the founding and leaders of the early church. And even as a young pastor of the early church, Peter still made a lot of mistakes. He dealt with issues of of racism and prejudice, and there were things Peter had to work on and had to be corrected on. And and again, I I I feel like most of us, if we're honest, can relate to a guy like Peter. But here's what's great about the life of Peter is that Peter shows us what it means Um, to make mistakes, but to learn from those mistakes, to grow. He shows us that, you know, um, when you're a new believer, uh, you don't, you you, you know, you make a lot of, a lot of errors, but you, you grow in Christ. You become more mature in Christ the longer that you walk with Christ. If you have a humble spirit, you're willing to be uh, taught and molded and shaped. You practice certain rhythms and habits. You can grow um, in your, in your faith. And, And that is what we get when Peter writes this letter. Peter's writing this letter to some younger, you might say more immature Christians, and his heart for them is the heart of any pastor to the church, that they know the gospel, that they know Jesus, they place their faith in Jesus, and then it's that they grow into spiritual maturity. That's what Peter wants for the church. That's what any pastor of any size church wants for the church, right? I want people to know the gospel, to trust Jesus, and then grow into spiritual maturity. Maturity. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to read First uh, Peter one, beginning in verse 23 through chapter two, verse about 12. And uh, I want you to hear uh, as we read this Peter's heart for the church to grow um, into spiritual maturity. And then we're going to talk about what that what that means and what that looks like. All right. Here we go. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 23. Peter says, "Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable." through the living and abiding word of God. We'll talk about the word of God in just a minute. And then he quotes from Isaiah the prophet. He says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, the gospel. Chapter two. So in light of that, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, you should long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as you come to him, it's going to talk about Jesus here, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. And he's going to quote again some Old Testament Scripture referring to Jesus here. 
Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And he's going to take a few verses here and he's going to remind the church of who they are in Christ. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult season of life, you just need to be reminded of your identity, right? You need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. So Peter's going to give them some encouragement here when he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You can kind of hear the heart of Peter for the church, right? He's writing to a church that is scattered. There's been a certain degree of persecution that has arisen in the church. And so they are, they are scattered uh, and, and they're just, there's a little bit of stress and fear and anxiety. Um, Peter also knows that even darker days are coming. Uh, historically, we know that Nero is the Roman emperor and there is going to come some very uh, harsh persecution against the church. And, and Peter, as a good pastor, Um, He understands that if you're going to go through those very difficult seasons of life, you need to have a rock-solid faith. You need to grow from like an immature Christian to a more mature Christian so that you can cling to your faith during those very difficult seasons. So Peter writes this letter, and that's what he wants for his people. He wants to see his people have a strong and mature and a healthy faith, like any good pastor. He wants them to, as verse 2 says, grow up into salvation, And so that's what I want to talk about just for a little bit this morning, is I want to just kind of try to answer the question, or we'll start by asking the question, you know, what does it take? What does it take for us to grow up into spiritual maturity? Phrase it another way, what does it take for us to be healthy and mature as Christians? What does healthy spirituality, healthy Christianity, mature Christianity, what does that even look like? Because I think if if we ask, if we were to go around the room and kind of ask, what does a healthy and mature Christian look like? I think we'll probably get some different answers. I know for some people, a healthy and mature Christian, there's like an, they equate healthy or strong or solid Christian with uh, a certain degree of knowledge or theological understanding, right? I talk to people all the time um, when it comes to whether it's you know, teaching in a kid's class or a student class or, hey, would you lead a Bible study or you want to open your home for a small group? Some of the, some of the, the hesitation is sometimes like, well, I just, I don't feel like I know enough, right? I don't, what if, what if they ask me a question I can't answer, right? Like, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I have the knowledge, the maturity, if you will, to lead yet in that way. And so there's like this, sometimes we equate Christian maturity to a cognitive sort of knowledge or how much we know or even know the Bible. And I always want to kind of push back against that idea because if Christian maturity um, equated with knowledge, then the Pharisees of Jesus' day would have been the most spiritually mature people on the planet, right? I mean, they knew more than any of us in this room. 
I mean, they could quote most of the Old Testament. And they just, they studied it backwards and forwards. They obeyed every single law. I mean, they were theologically, educationally elite. And yet, they were very spiritually immature. And so I want you to understand when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's not so much, um, you know, how much you know, and rather how well we walk in and obey what we already know, right? Um, For example, it doesn't matter how smart you are and how much theology and understanding you have of Scripture, how many verses you can quote, if you can't, you know, do the things that Jesus tells us to do that are pretty straightforward, like love your neighbor, right? Like if you have a bunch of PhDs in theology, but you can't love your neighbor, you're not spiritually mature. If, you know, you can't forgive people that, that wrong you, people that, 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 you know, you can't learn to walk in forgiveness towards others, um, man, you're, you're, not, you're not spiritually mature. And so I just want you to see when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's not always about this cognitive knowledge and how much you learn and how much you know. It's really about how well you walk in what we already know, um, the things that God calls us to do. So Peter's going to sort of um, lay out some things that we can do, that the church can do to grow into spiritual maturity. And the first thing that I wrote down that Peter addresses here, I I said it this way, is that if you want to grow to be healthy spiritually, mature spiritually, you need consistent nourishment, okay? You need consistent nourishment. Peter uses this example of just like babies long for and crave milk, it's ingrained in them, they need it to grow, the same should be true spiritually, that you need good nourishment. In other words, you need to feed on the right things and put away, as he says, the wrong things. You need to to feed on the right stuff and and put away the wrong stuff. And the right stuff, we'll talk about that first, essentially what he says is it's it's the word of God. We need to be feeding on the word of God. I preached a sermon a few months ago as we wrapped up our Psalm series, specifically on Psalm 119, all about God's word. What is God's word? Where does God's word come from? Um, you can go back and listen to that. But um, one of the big things that I pointed out was this study that was done about uh, those that spent time in the word of God. If you spent time in the word of God, uh, roughly like one day a week, there really, it made negligible effect on, on your life. Um, so that, that would include just coming to church once a week or, or whatever. And they did this study and saw that even Christians that spent maybe a couple times a week in God's word... Um, again, there just, there just wasn't a lot of effect on their, on their day-to-day life. Three times a week, a little bit better, but still didn't move the needle a whole lot. But it's called the power of four effect. What they found is that when Christians spent at least um, four times a week in God's Word, there was significant um, improvement made in various fashions of their spiritual life. Um, and so the whole idea behind the study was just to show that, like, man, consistently feeding on, studying, getting into, reading, applying God's word made a, made a huge difference in, in your Christian life. And so Peter's gonna mention that too. He mentions the word uh, of God multiple times in the text that we just read. He says, look, everything else is gonna fade away, uh, the grass, the flower, all the stuff, but at the end of the day, God's word is going to last forever. And then what I love about when he talks about the word of God is he does what I always try to do, and that's that he points to this big truth that ultimately the word of God points us to the person and the work of Jesus, okay? That's where he goes next. He's going to refer to Jesus as a living stone in verse four, um, a cornerstone in verses six and seven, and then a stone of stumbling in verse eight. 
Ultimately, he's going to point to the fact that you need to be in the word, you need to be nourished by the word, but the purpose of the word is to point you to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He starts with the the living stone. Jesus is a living stone, which basically means, again, that we serve a savior who is not dead, who is very much alive. This sets Christianity apart from other world religions, right? Our founder, our, our leader is not in a grave somewhere, not in a tomb somewhere. We just sang a song about it. Death could not hold him. We celebrated at Easter, right? He died on a cross for our sin. Three days later, he walks out of the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. And so we celebrate the fact Jesus is a living stone. We serve a risen and a living Savior. The second thing he mentions is Jesus as the cornerstone, the cornerstone. So if you're going to build a building back in this day and time, you would always start with the foundation, which was, again, the cornerstone. You would start with the cornerstone because that would make sure that the building was built right, that it was strong, that it was sturdy, that it was aligned the right way. So when they were going to build a building, uh, almost any size or structure, they would always lay the cornerstone first. This is simply Peter's way of saying this. He talks about your life being built as a spiritual house. Your life has got to be built on the foundation that is Christ. If you build your life on anything else, it's going to crumble and fall. Your life um, cannot be built on, you know, the expectations of your spouse, your kids, your career, your hobbies, your interests, any of that stuff. Your, 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 your house, your foundation has to be built on a cornerstone that is Jesus. He's talking to these Christians. He wants them to be built up and to grow to maturity. And he says, you got to start with getting in the word, and ultimately, you got to start with the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And then he mentions the one that's maybe a little bit more confusing. He says, he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Basically, those that do not believe, to those that do not believe, Jesus is kind of in the way. Honestly, Jesus is kind of offensive. Paul says it this way in another letter that he writes earlier. He says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, right? To some people, Jesus is offensive. Jesus is just sort of a roadblock. He's a stumbling block to them, trying to live their life their own way. So Peter writes, talking about being nourished by the word of God. If you're gonna grow up and be healthy and strong, guess what? You need good nourishment, right? Um, Anybody that tries to live a healthy life knows that. You can't just eat junk food all the time, candy, uh, fair food, or as I call it, college student food. When I was in college, I did not eat healthy, right? A lot of Totino's and ramen because I was broke and that stuff was cheap, right? I ate a lot of 2 a.m. Whataburger, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I love Whataburger. I think there's going to be Whataburger in heaven, but it's, it, you can't live on Whataburger alone. Like, man cannot live on Whataburger alone. It's in the Bible, right? You can't, it's not healthy for you, right? If you want to be healthy and mature and grow to maturity, you got to have the right nourishment. You got to have the right nourishment. So you got to feed on the right things, the Word of God, pointing us to Jesus. And you have to then, he says, avoid, put away the wrong stuff. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He mentions some of the wrong stuff. Don't feed on these things. He says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Got to put that stuff away, man. If you want to be healthy and mature as a Christian, you can't be feeding on this stuff. You can't be. I'll say it this way. You can't be constantly feeding yourself the wrong things and expect to be healthy and mature. It just doesn't work that way, right? It just doesn't work that way. So the first thing that he's going to mention is we need consistent nourishment. That nourishment is the Word of God pointing us to Christ Put away the wrong stuff, feed on the right stuff. Well, good nourishment from the Word of God is not the only thing that we need to grow healthy and mature. 
Something else that he's going to mention here is that you need consistent practice. You need consistent practice. And just like nourishment, if you want to be healthy and mature, you have to practice the right things, not the wrong things. By and large, your life is going to be a product of the things that you practice, right? The fruit of your life, what is kind of put out in your life, is going to be the product of what you practice regularly in your life. So he says the same thing. In fact, uh, over in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. If that is what you practice, if that is what you pursue, is that, if that is your goal and what you go after, that is going to be the, the product that you become, right? And he says, we don't want to pursue those things. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. Those things are not good for your soul. If you want to grow to be a healthy and mature Christian, you can't practice the wrong stuff. Instead, look what he says. Um, he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There is an assumption that Peter makes here. He's writing to these, quote, immature Christians that need to grow up in the faith, but he's already assuming that even though they're immature, they haven't arrived yet, they've got a lot to learn, a lot of things to grow in, that they are already serving and doing. They are living out their faith. They're practicing Christians. Make sense? Here's the big idea. You don't wait until you, you know, become more spiritually mature one day in the future in order to start serving in order to start doing, in order to start giving, in order to start loving, in order to start, you know, blessing other people. Like, there's this myth out there from some people that you can't start, well, I can't do that, I can't do these things because I don't know enough or I'm not, I'm not there yet. And then what happens is you spend most of your life thinking that one day in the future I'll eventually get there, all the while we know that you never really do, right? And so you never actually start serving. And so the idea that Peter lays out here is this, even though they're young, new Christians, they don't know a lot, that they're already practicing their faith. In other words, I'll say it this way, um, you don't wait to practice your faith until you reach spiritual maturity. Practicing your faith is how you reach spiritual maturity, right? Like, you've probably heard the, the statement, like, practice makes perfect. Well, here's the thing. Practice will not make you perfect, but it will help you grow, right? Practice isn't going to make you perfect, but it is going to help you grow in your faith. You don't Wait till you get more spiritually mature to start doing the things God calls you to do. Doing those things is how you ultimately get there, okay? Um, I'd remind you what James, James chapter 2, it's one page to the left um, in my Bible, James chapter 2. Pastor James tells us the same thing Pastor Pete tells us, right? Look what he says in verse 14. I'll read it for you. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and filled, without giving them the things that needed for the body, well, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Down in verse 28, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works, is dead. So the big idea here from Peter is that if you want to grow to be a healthy, mature believer, you need consistent nourishment. You need to be feeding on the right things. At the same time, you need to have um, consistent practice. 
You need to put those things into practice. And you don't wait till you get there. You don't wait till you've arrived to do that. You start wherever you are. I know in a church our size, across three services, we have people that are all across the map in spiritual maturity, right? We're not all in the same place. We have new Christians. We have older, wiser Christians, right? We have, we have, we have people all over. We have people raised in church. We have people that have never been in church before. We have people that, that strongly believe in Jesus, and they don't have a lot of doubts and questions. We've got people that have all kinds of doubts and questions. And so the point is, we're all in different places, but you start where you are serving God living out your faith, practicing your faith. You don't wait till some mythical time in the future when you feel like you've more arrived to start putting those things into practice. And Peter's gonna remind the church of the same thing. There's one other area that Peter points to um, that you need in your life if you're gonna grow to maturity as a Christian. And this one, um, I would say, is kind of, a, it's kind of an assumed across the whole, the whole letter. And that is this, that you need consistent community in your life. You need consistent community. Here's what I mean by it's ingrained in the whole letter. I would remind you that the letter of 1 Peter is not written, it's not written to an individual. It's not written to an individual. It's written to a group. It's written to a community. It's written to the church. This letter was going to be read and circulated among the group. Peter understood that these Christians that are going through the ringer, even though they are scattered, they're still the church community and that they're gonna need one another. I'll say it this way. You, can't, you, you will not, I would say you cannot grow, you cannot grow to spiritual maturity by yourself. You just can't do it. And I know there are people, I've heard the arguments, I've sat down and talked with many that are like, well, I don't need the church in order to love Jesus and be a Christian. I can, I can worship God out in nature and I can, you know, I, I, listen, I hear that. I, I, you can worship God in nature. I, I, I worship God sometimes sitting on my front porch. Like you can do that, but you will not ever grow to spiritual maturity apart from the body, apart from when you're, when you're in isolation, you don't have community. And the reason for that is, if you think about the things that God calls us to do in the New Testament, the commands, if you will, of God, the things Paul, Peter, all these, uh, in all the epistles, the things that we are urged to do, they're often followed by the phrase, one another. You notice that? Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. And go on and on and on. All of these things that we're asked to do involve other people, right? Like you don't have to work hard at forgiving if you're just by yourself, because let's be honest, you think you're pretty great, right? I know I do. Like I think I'm awesome, right? But other people remind me that sometimes I'm not, okay? And so that's life. Like so you can't, you can't live out what God calls you to live out by yourself. You just can't. You don't learn more patience living by yourself. Uh, like no community around you. You don't, you don't learn how to forgive other people when you're, when you're by yourself. All of the things we're asked to do, including love difficult, broken, messed up people that offend us sometimes, we have to be together with other people in order to do that. And so Peter's telling these young Christians that he wants so badly as a pastor for them to grow up into spiritual maturity. The same thing all pastors want for their church. He's gonna say, listen, to do that, You need to be feeding on the right stuff. You need the good nourishment. You also need to be putting into practice and living out the things you know, and then you're gonna need some consistent community around you. I know some people have pushed back on the community idea saying that, well, I can't have consistent community when there's so much disagreement. 
right? There's so much disagreement. So I know people that, whether it's hopping around to churches or small groups, or they just never can find their group because every time they disagree with someone about something, they're like, that can't be my community, right? And they hop off to something else. And I always push back again on that and say, one thing we try to model here at the Vista is this, that you can have consistent community without full agreement, okay? It's entirely possible to have consistent community without full agreement. We've talked about this many times. We go over in our Discover the Vista classes, but, but we use this illustration of, of a closed hand and an open hand all the time. And the closed hand, those are things that we need to find agreement on. But I'll be honest, our closed hand is pretty small. It really is. Basically, the stuff in the closed hand is what makes you and I orthodox Christians. Like if you don't agree with the stuff in this hand, you, you have reason to question whether you're really a Christian or not, right? This is just stuff that like, you know, the way to salvation is through Jesus. Jesus alone, his substitutionary death at the cross for our sin. The doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, like that's a Orthodox Christian belief. And I could go on and on, there's, there's a lot, there's, there's, a, there's some things in the closed hand to be sure. It's not a free for all, we don't get to make it up, like we don't get to just go, oh, believe whatever you want. There are some things in this hand for sure. But listen, we have a really big open hand. We do. And the open hand is stuff that like you and I can have opinions on and we can even read scripture and have a view, but it's, we don't have to have full agreement to be brothers and sisters in Christ and have community together, right? And so we have a really big open hand here. You can have consistent community without full agreement on everything, right? Peter writes and says, these are some things, these are simply three things that if you want to grow into spiritual maturity, you're going to need to have in your life. I'll end by just kind of calling attention to this one facet of all three of these. Notice the word that's consistent with all three of them is the word consistent, right? Because here's the thing. When it comes to growing to maturity, being healthy, uh, the same is true spiritually as is true physically. If I am not healthy, at this point, it's not rocket science. Um, if you want to get healthy, there's going to be some things you need to do, right? Um, you probably need to, to eat right. Diet is going, to be, is going to be part of the equation. And then some form of exercise, right? I don't care what doctor you go to. If you're not healthy, those two things are going to be on the agenda, right? Diet and exercise, okay? So if I look at my life and go, man, I am not healthy. I'm not healthy. I probably need to, you know, work on my diet and exercise a little bit. But here's what happens. Like if you go, if I go, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to eat a salad and some vegetables, right? And I go one time and I eat some salad and vegetables. And then I go, look in the mirror and go, well, it, it didn't work. I mean, I ate a salad. I ate some veggies. What's going on? I'm not healthy. Or if I go, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to throw some weight. I'm going I'm li to lift some weights and I'm going to go run a mile. I've heard exercise is important. So I'm going to go. And, and one day I go and I do that for one day. And then I look in the mirror and go, well, I don't, I don't see a lot of change. What's the deal? Why isn't it working? Well, I mean, again, it's kind of silly, like it's not working because you have to be consistent. You have to be consistent. And most of us struggle not with knowing what to do to get healthy, but with the consistency it takes to actually get healthy. It's the reason um, gym memberships are huge in January, but by February, they're all empty, right? Because we know we need to, it's just hard to be consistent. It's hard to be consistent. Consistency is the key. The same is true spiritually as is true 
physically. And so while physically we know that to be true, it's so funny, like spiritually, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I tried church, it didn't work. I tried reading the Bible, it just didn't work. I tried a small group, it just didn't work. And so I don't know what you think working looks like, but going once or twice is not, you have to build consistency. There has to be some consistency for you to see the results over time. I'll say it this way, spiritual health and maturity happens over time as you build healthy rhythms, habits, and patterns into your life. The key is consistency. The key is consistency. And so you've got to build those healthy rhythms, those healthy habits and patterns. Um, you, again, are going to be the product of the, the rhythms, habits, and patterns that, that, you, that, you, that you do in your life. That's going to be the result. Um, one of the ways we've said it around here for a long time is this, that, that your life is an environment that is perfectly designed to grow whatever it is currently growing, right? Your life is an environment that is perfectly designed to grow whatever it's currently growing, which means this. If you look at your life, the fruit of your life, and you don't like what it is, if, if you would look at your life and say, man, I am just not spiritually healthy or mature, I'm not growing to spiritual health or maturity, then you have to change the environment of your life. You have to change some of the, ribbits, uh, the, the rhythms, habits, and patterns that are in your life. You're not just gonna wake up one day or do something one time and all of a sudden be where you wanna be. You've gotta change and work on that consistency. And that, that's the challenge this morning, right? Pastor Pete, right, he wants for his church so badly to grow up into spiritual maturity. It's the same thing that we want for you. We want you to know Jesus, place your faith in Jesus, know the gospel, and then that, see that as the starting point. That's the beginning point. And from there, we grow, we build in those healthy rhythms, habits, and patterns into our life, and we grow into the people that God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, just your, your, your goodness, your grace. We're thankful, God, for our identity that Peter reminds us of, rooted in you, that you have called us, God, you have chosen us. Um, and so, God, we just say thank you for that. And Lord, I, I pray today um, that all of us would have this desire, that you would place in us a desire to grow and to be healthy um, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our Christianity, God, in our faith. I pray you would help us, God, to build into our lives the healthy rhythms, habits, and patterns that we need. God, that we would feed on the right things. God, that we would put into practice the things that we already know. We'd begin to walk in the things you call us to walk in. That we wouldn't wait till some mythical day in the future when we were, we're a better Christian in order to start doing the things you call us to do. And then, Father, I pray that we would have consistent community in our lives. That we would understand we don't have to have full agreement on everything, but we can have faithful brothers and sisters in Christ around us who love us, that help us grow in this. And so, God, uh, I just pray for those things for us today, for all of us. We pray for the grace and the mercy that we need in order to live those things out. We pray it today in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.